She's a real woman with a real life. She's someone you can relate to. Dawn Newton. Dr. Michelle Jackson, it's great to talk with you today. You, you've got a couple lectures coming up that we're going to be talking about here. The first one is Saturday, January 20th, and then again, Thursday, January 25th, that we're going to get into here in just a moment. But I just want to introduce everyone to you. You are a Oregon State licensed naturopathic physician. You've been here in Bend for the math I did was close to like 23 years or so. Yeah, exactly. I graduated from the Naturopathic College in Portland in 2001 and came over here right after that. So, yes, I'm dating myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also just it just made me think about, too, in that time, how I'm sure you've seen the medical arena, how it's the ebbs and flows and the changes and advancements and all the things from when you first started to where it is today. I bet that's, I I don't know if that's been significant or how, if it's been subtle or how that's been. Yeah, that's really, that is an interesting question. I'm not going to have the exact numbers. When I first moved here, I think just from the naturopathic perspective, I think there was five practicing naturopaths in Bend. And years ago, I want to say it's probably been about 10 years ago, I looked because I was just curious. And there was like 25 of us. So, I mean, and probably even more now. So the naturopathic community has really grown. And then from a perspective of blending, I shouldn't say blending, but for me, getting referrals from MDs and the traditional medical community, that's really changed in a positive way over the years in that like now I'll, I'll get referrals versus when I first started, no one was, no one was sending naturopaths any, um, <laughs> any patients our way. So I think there's been a lot, some growth, uh, which is really nice. Well, and that is interesting how that happens. And I guess I can label it Western versus Eastern medicine, I think is how it's looked at. Um, sure. Please correct me if that's incorrect. But yeah, that it, it is interesting how our more traditional physicians aren't as accepting or open or, but they have, I've, I've just in my own personal experience noticed some changes there, but not, <laughs> not everywhere. Yeah. No, I would, I would agree. And even, and just to back up, some of, I mean, I'm sure some of your listen, listeners might even not know what a naturopath or naturopathic doctor is. In Oregon, we're full primary care physicians. So we can prescribe everything that traditional medical doctors can, but the, really the big difference I feel is we're also trained in herbal medicine and some I didn't, but some naturopaths also get their acupuncture license. As a, a naturopath, it really is a blend between Western and Eastern medicine. There's a, there's a broad range of the way people practice. Like I have some naturopathic friends who are very Western. Like they just, you know, just go ahead and prescribe medications just like an MD would versus I have other friends who they don't use their prescription rights. They'll just do herbal and vitamin. I tend to be in the middle of of the road. Um, So yeah, it's a, just, it's a, it's a great, it's a great field or what's word I'm looking for a great profession I feel like you can really individualize your practice how you want it to be well too in reading just in our talking points and our my research on you just naturopathic medicine and this I think this definition applies all across the board 
aims to treat the cause of an illness, not just the symptoms. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I was, I looked because I was like, I need to refresh myself with this. There's kind there's a few naturopathic principle. One that that's in like all of our literature. One is the healing power of nature and how I read that or interpret that sometimes thinking about the healing power of different herbal medicines, but also just that our own body has the ability to restore itself and ward off disease. Then another naturopathic principle is first do no harm. So that's looking at like, hey, we do try to do the most gentle treatments as possible, or say I do prescribe antibiotics for someone for strep throat, I would I also want to do probiotics or give them the things that might counterbalance any side effects from the medication. One of the biggest principles that really drew me to naturopathic medicine was what you just said, identify and treat the cause. Because really, if you think about it, if you have, you know, a headache, you, you're, you're, that's a symptom of something else out of balancing your body. And you want to find out what is causing that headache. Is it food sensitivities? You know, is it a sinus infection? Is it neurotransmitter imbalances? And I'll just, I'll just keep going. And then the other two naturopathic principles, one is prevention is the best cure. So obviously trying to prevent disease and then you don't have to treat it if you don't have that <laughs> issue to begin with. And then this this goes back to my lectures. The last one is doctor as teacher. In general, and I, I guess I can't speak for all naturopathic medicine, but we most of us spend a lot of time with our patients. I mean, I think the average time that traditional medical doctors spend, I think sometimes I see there's seven minutes or seven to 15 minutes per visit is what they're allotted versus I think most naturopaths are scheduling at least 30 minute follow-ups, you know, an hour follow-ups. And that's because we, you know, we need to take the time to tell our patients or teach their pa our patients about why they might want to do these therapies. Because I'm not going to go home with all my patients and make sure that they do everything. <laughs> they have to kind of know why that would be important. So I think there are just some fundamental differences between Eastern, Western medicine. I mean, and that's that whole health piece of it. I mean, nutrition and the physical, the lifestyle, homeopathic medicine, um, yeah. you know, botanical. I mean, all of it, the psychological too. I mean, it's, it's, I guess, mind, body, spirit is what seems to come to mind, but there's so much to it, that balance. And our body is such a machine. It's mm -hmm. not just, like you said, here's the headache, but what's causing the headache? Yeah. You know, and, and so let's lift, <laughs> let's lift our, our hood and see what's <laughs> going on inside, which sometimes that might be a scary thought, but, um, <laughs> but we do need to figure out, you know, what's going on and how much control we have over our own health. Exactly. And, and like, as you mentioned, where you just said, like the, the spirit and spiritual part in that you think we all can relate to this, that you can't separate out your, you know, your physical symptoms and say, oh, that's not affecting my mental health or my spiritual health. Oh, it is. I mean, if you've got this pain, you know, this back pain, it's going to make you grumpy. <laughs> so just oh, looking at the whole picture and our bodies are amazing because they have this ability to heal that it's all interrelated um it's, it's very difficult to just look at one little box and and just treat that because it has a 
broad, anything you have going on with your health is going to have a a broad reaching effect. But, you know, in thinking about just, we'll use a headache because that's real simple and we can all relate to it. Is it, we're still going to take the ibuprofen or whatever it is to try to like get that pain yeah. to go away. But at the same time, while you're doing that, let's, let's take a, let's look even further. Let's peel back some more layers while we're mm. trying to get that headache to go away and then figure out what's causing it. Cause sometimes that those headaches can hang around for a long time, turn into migraines and all kinds of things that can yeah. be pretty debilitating. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's easy to get in the habit of, Oh, I woke up with a headache and I'll just take my, you know, ibuprofen again. And then, you know, just sometimes it's sitting back with a patient and, and I'll ask, well, how long, how long has this been going on? Does this happen every day? And sometimes it's, those questions are like, oh, yeah, I didn't realize that I had had this headache every day or it started when allergy symptoms start or just things. Sometimes you just have to take the time to ask these simple questions, but they can be so revealing. It, it just helps people realize they can make the connections where my patients can make the connections as I do at the same time. You know, and the thing too, I want to make sure that we talk about too, is, is like you said, and we said it earlier and you said it earlier, was that blend between Western and Eastern type medicine and that you do work with primary care physicians and the referrals back and forth. So it's not, you don't need to pick a side, which sometimes I feel yeah. like our yeah. Western physicians do want us to pick a side. Yeah. And I yeah. don't mean to demean or, you know, disparage mm -hmm. that, but I mean, just from my own personal experience too, it's like, well, why can't we do both? Why does it have to be one or the other? Yeah. And I, I hear that a lot from, from my, from my patients and it, it is frustrating for them. You know, they'll ask me, do they'll say, oh, well, do I tell my primary care that I'm working with you for whatever we're working on? And my answer is always like, yes, you know, they need to know. But I, I they do tell me they're like, okay, but I might get some resistance about this. But on the other hand, I tell them it's, it's their, tell my patients, it's their body. I mean, they don't, I don't want them to do anything stupid, but with with the right knowledge that, you know, you should be able to decide what works, works for you and what you're, you know, what you're comfortable with. But yeah, it, I do hear that a lot from people. They're just like, oh, I don't know how my primary is going to like this, <laughs> but that's changed. But I, like I said, I, um, there are, you know, quite a few physicians in town who don't do a lot with male or female hormone replacement. And I do. And so over the years, I've, I get referrals for that now from them, which is, which is really nice. I wanted to talk to you about your practice because your practice is, it's, it's a specialized practice and you've changed your business model over the past couple of years, but where it's telemedicine practice and the focus on male and female hormone imbalances, thyroid, adrenal issues, food sensitivities, neurotransmitter disorders. We'll have to define that one. Cause that sounds really, um, that sounds very Elon Musky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, my neurotransmitters. But yeah. um, that has changed. So tell us about that process and how you oh, like doing that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you asked. So, yeah, I, as we alluded to earlier, when I first started practicing, so probably for the first 20 years of my practice, I did in-person primary care, which was... There's a lot of aspects that I loved about that. But as I mentioned, as naturopaths, you know, we 
can prescribe medications. And so say I started out with someone who had high blood pressure. And at first we were treating it just fine with herbal and lifestyle changes. But then if their blood pressure kept increasing, I'm kind of obligated to you know, put them on blood pressure medication. And not that I'm, I, I was against that, but with being primary care, it was just a lot because, you know, anything that came into the office, I had to know, okay, this is the traditional way we treat it. This is the naturopathic way we treat it. And there's so much new information coming out all the time. It was becoming difficult to, to keep up. But then COVID hit and I mean, COVID changed things for a lot of people. And I started reevaluating like, hmm, what do I really love to treat? You know, what do I want to really treat for the next 20, 30 years of practice. And throughout the years, I did a lot of hormone and thyroid patients anyway. And that, and I do love to treat that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to kind of pivot, try to specialize in that more. And so what I did is I, I require that my patients have a primary care physician because I'm telemedicine, which I'll tell you about more, but they still need to go in and get their physical exams and their blood pressure and things that if we can't work ideally with naturopathic medicine, then they can get the prescriptions from their from their primary. So it was, it was, it was simplifying. I was just ready to simplify a little bit and treat the things I love to treat. And telemedicine just pretty much means that it's not in person, not in person visits. I do either over the phone visits or video visits. Um, I don't use Zoom. I use this other platform called GoToMeeting, but it's basically a Zoom call. So I can at least see the patient and they can see me. And that always is a nice, nice connection as well. So that's how it works. It's just, yeah, it's just, it has simplified things a bit. Telemedicine. So have you noticed a change? Is it impacted um, either from your standpoint or a patient standpoint, the quality of, of the service that you're providing? Because, um, I mean, full disclosure, I'm one of your patients and it's been amazing. Oh, it's funny. I had one patient, they live out in particular, I'm thinking of, they live in Christmas Valley and I treat their whole family. And at first she was like, ah, thrilled about <laughs> telemedicine thing. And then I think the second time I talked to her, she's like, ah. Oh, She's like, this is great. She's like, I can't, you know, where they were haying. They were like in the middle of, you know, a big, big hay cut. And she's like, oh, I just have to take a break. And, we, and then I can have my visit. And I, have, I don't have to drive into bed. She's like, I love it. <laughs> um, but, but, but it does take away. Like I do, especially my new patients, I do miss meeting them for the first time. I think it, it does take away a little bit of of that connection. Um, but for the most part, people really like it. Everybody's like, sure, we I can keep doing that. You know, and talking about the specializing, doing what you love to do, focusing on male and female hormone imbalances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we talk about hormones, we always think it's more a female situation. But men, you, you have hormones too, and they do change. And how we use our horm- hormones and how stress you know, it contributes to those imbalances. And even as we age, our lifestyle, there's so many things that I don't think we realize. Sometimes I think we just chalk it up to, well, I'm getting old. This is what I'm supposed to do, (laughs) which I'm like, stop saying that because that's not accurate. You know, um, I mean, there is some changes, but there's things that we can do to 
to still, you know, have a quality of life and fulfilling and, and getting those hormones so that we're still active as we want to be. Yeah, exactly. I would, I mean, I do overall, I, I treat more women than men. I think in general, women probably go to the doctor more, but this, this is funny. This often happens. I'll <laughs> treat the, the wife or the, of the, of the couple for hormones and then they're feeling a lot better and they're like, okay husband or partner, you got to go in and get that testosterone check because I feel so much better. But yeah, men, and it's particularly testosterone, tends to drop or does drop with age. And just like women, our hormones really start to shift and change in your 40s and 50s. Men will often have that drop during that during that time too. And it's particularly testosterone. So a lot of times the first thing that comes to mind, men will think, you know, about like, oh, but my, you know, my libido is fine. So I can't have low testosterone. But testosterone is, you know, it's a brain chemical. We have tons of receptors for hormones in our brain. So the lower testosterone levels sometimes are just, they're feeling kind of depressed or they're tired or they're not building muscle mass. And yeah, just testing those levels and getting them those more optimal makes a huge difference in just, yeah, mind, body, spirit, all of it. Well, and thyroid and adrenal issues, that's one that's clearly near and dear to my heart. (laughs) 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 Are you seeing a lot of that? I mean, I know, you know, with hormones, thyroid, adrenal, you know, our food sensitivities, that seems to be, I guess I'm going to say what common, or we're seeing Mm -hmm. more of it. Yeah. And what's, what's, you know, the underlying cause of it? I mean, I have my ideas, but... Yes, the thyroid and adrenal disorders. Oh, I don't know if it's become more, uh, probably more prevalent in our society or we're just more aware of them. But I I definitely feel like there's, you know, there's so much stress. There's so much going on. And even though we, you know, we talk about the adrenals producing too much or too little cortisol, and they do, but they're directly responding to the brain. The hypothalamus and the pituitary glands in your brain is, is what tell are what tell your adrenals whether they should make cortisol more or less or the the imbalances there with our very busy society that I think that stress has caused more adrenal dysfunction and that's some something I definitely think can people maybe can relate to you know they might go to their their regular western md doctor and They'll test the adrenals, and unless you've got true, it's called primary adrenal deficiency or Addison's disease, where your adrenals just doesn't make cortisol anymore, they're going to say, "Nope, your adrenals are fine." But for most people, yeah, their their adrenals are functioning, meaning they're not making, they're not shut off, they're not no cortisol, but they're not balanced. They're they're not ideal. They're they're not functioning ideally, and I think that's a great place that alternative medicine can come in and be like, yeah, you're not in this disease state, but they're not, yeah, they're not functioning ideally the way they should be. And same with the thyroid in that there's very big ranges of normal, I feel like, on the blood work for thyroid. So oftentimes I have people come in and they'll be like, oh, I'm tired. I gained weight. I've got dry skin. I'm feeling low mood. They're all symptoms of low thyroid. And they'll say, oh, but my, you know, I have my thyroid checked and it's within normal range. 
and I'll look at the lab and I'll be like, yeah, you're in the normal range, but not anywhere near an ideal range of normal. Or they haven't, or their their tests don't look at the whole thyroid picture because there's there's a lot of additional tests that can be brought in to look at the big picture. I don't want to blame it all on stress, but I, yeah, there's just a, there's a number of reasons why these glands I feel like are, are are getting more and more out of balance for people. What exactly do the adrenals do? Like. I understand. They're located on top of your kidneys. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's these little glands, um, exactly, on top of your, they, they're they not connected to kidney function, but they sit right on top of, of your kidneys. And they actually do a lot of things. I mean, one, one part of the adrenals, it controls sodium, potassium, and some electrolyte balancing, which people don't always know about. But sometimes that's a signal for me if someone's like, ah, oh, I'm getting dehydrated all the time, or I, it's one thing that I go, hmm, I wonder if we need to look at your adrenals. But they also produce cortisol, which most people are familiar with cortisol. It's a hormone and should have a rhythm where cortisol should be high, elevated in the morning, and then slowly, slowly down and be low at night because it gives you energy for your day. So you don't want your cortisol high at nighttime because it certainly can affect your sleep or low in the morning because your your metabolism and energy can be low for the day. And then the adrenal glands also produce epinephrine and norepinephrine. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think it might only produce norepinephrine and it gets converted to epinephrine. But Anyway, with those two um, neurotransmitters or brain chemicals, which are similar to adrenaline, so it also helps with, or it's involved with that fight or flight response. So yeah, the adrenals do a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and when, when any of these are low, hormones, thyroid, adrenals, I mean, it, it you feel it, even mm-hmm. though we don't maybe understand that if those are low, we need to maybe help boost them up. Look at, you know, the whole body, what's going on, what are we experiencing at this time? Even, you know, good stress is still yeah. stress. The body doesn't know the difference between, you know, a traumatic stress or even happy stress, like, I don't know, yeah. a wedding, which can be both traumatic and happy. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's depending, I'm trying to find the happy stressors that we go through. Yeah. But um, I don't know, I guess getting ready for a big vacation, even though, mm-hmm. so how the body interprets it, it doesn't know that you're really yeah. happy, but you're really stressed. Yeah, exactly. And and how we respond to stress is still the same like ancestral reaction of, hey, I'm either, you know, I gotta I'm going to flee, you know, I'm gonna fight or flight. You still are gonna have that same reaction when your brain interprets stress. Well, and the what I think what happens, you know, we were way back with our ancestors. Hopefully, you were only fleeing from the tiger, you know, once a month or once every <laughs> six months. But it's that same stress response of say you have, you know, a boss that's nagging at you day in, day out. Your your brain is still interpreting that as breath, and you're gonna have that kind of fight or flight stress response all the time and we're just not made to deal with that it's going to have you know an effect over time and i often talk about the and you've heard me chat about this with you the the adrenal thyroid and male and female hormones they all really kind of they affect one another because your brain the hypothalamus and the pituitary glands in your brain they control those two glands control all three of those systems the adrenal thyroid and male and female hormones. So sometimes going back to like finding the cause, 
I've had people where at first you think, oh, you're, you know, your, your adrenals are on too much. You know, they're, they're in the fight or flight mode too much. But then we find out it's actually because they're compensating for a low thyroid function. So kind of going back to that whole of like, wait, we got to take the time to look at the whole picture and figure out what's actually the cause of these symptoms. And so it it does, it, take, it takes some time sometimes. Let's talk about, too, that neurotransmitter disorders. What is a neurotransmitter? Yeah, so neurotransmitters, um, sorry, I was trying to think of a funny Elon Musk um, comment, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> so oh, your neurotransmitters are your brain chemicals. So um, it's a real broad term for things like serotonin, dopamine, which most people have heard of those. I mentioned epinephrine and norepinephrine, some other really common brain chemicals. chemicals. Well, one's GABA. Oftentimes people have heard about GABA. What else do I test a lot? Glycine, phenylalanine. But basically they're they're chemicals or, or not chemicals. They're substances that our body produces. For example, our GI tract, our gut makes most of our serotonin, like 90% of our serotonin. And serotonin is that brain chemical that many people have heard of, heard about because that's what most of the antidepressant drugs work on. They help your body absorb the serotonin that you have, that you're making better. But think about that. It's interesting how we've got this real like gut-brain connection. Sometimes we talk about that like, oh, I have anxiety and you feel it in, in your gut. And most of your serotonin is made in your gut. But there's a way to test these brain chemicals. There's a real simple urine test. And they run, you you get these levels run and say we find out, oh, yeah, your serotonin's low or your epinephrine and norepinephrine are low. How we naturally make these brain chemicals or neurotransmitters are through amino acids. So ideally we get from the protein in our food, but Sometimes you can supplement with specific amino acids, depending on what you're low in, and your body will kind of then make these neurotransmitters, kind of replenish them. And a lot, there's a lot of symptoms associated with low or out of balance neurotransmitter levels, like depression, anxiety, and you know, insomnia, fatigue, migraines. There's a lot of conditions associated with those neurotransmitter imbalances. Well, it's just amazing how much our body, you know, is a machine. I mean, we look at how well we take care of, or some of us do, take care of our automobiles or, you know, our homes, our furnace, our roof or whatever, you know, all these pieces. And sometimes we just, we just neglect our body sometimes. I mean, I know I've been guilty of that. And then, but once you understand how it works and how life does dump a bunch of stuff on us at any given point in time. But just trying to keep ourselves in an optimal state as best we can. You know, those are things we can control. We can't control what the outside world has got in store for us. But um, all of this, it just, it's just so informative. And I know just um, through my history working with you, I totally understand and appreciate all of these. And I'm still learning about them as, um, you know, it's just, and like, oh, okay, now that makes sense. And, you know, when we think hormones, it's not just the ovaries or, you know, there's so much your hormones are running through our body and it's not just female, but male too. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think we're, oh gosh, I think we're all obviously guilty of, you know, just continuing and go, go, go. And especially, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, but I hear that a lot from women. You know, once, I, I think menopause sometimes when, and that's the time where the 
ovaries stop producing estrogen and progesterone. You know, for a lot of women, sometimes it can be a good thing. Like they've raised their, you know, they've raised their kids for the most part and they stop and they realize, oh, I can't keep doing this. I have to, (laughs) I have to take care of me. So sometimes as difficult as it can be for some women to go through, it can be a time of like, okay, I, you know, I need to do, you know, I need to do things for, for myself and not, and I just hear this all the time. They feel guilty for taking the time for themselves, but but you have to. Yeah, there's no participation trophy for seeing how much we we women can get done. Like nobody's going to be at the finish line handing you a medal ever. I mean, if anything, yeah. um, Michelle might be there handing you some supplements or antibiotics <laughs> or something because we've run ourselves down so far. But um, it is really something to think about, kind of like, where does that come from? Why do we do it? What if it didn't get done? What would happen then? Yeah. Like, I think it'd probably be okay, depending on what it is. But yeah, making ourselves a priority, we, we struggle with that. And I think it's something yeah. that we we really need to be curious about. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I agree. Like, think about even today, there's a lot of folks who, you know, probably couldn't go out because of the roads and the weather and do all the things that they wanted to do or today. And you know what? It's probably just fine. You know, I, we just get in that hamster wheel mo- mode. Yeah. And and who's, whose voice is it are we listening to? Like, who's beating us up in our head? You know? uh, very true. And yeah. like, who is that? Is that just... Yeah. You know, so it's, yeah, and it's, it's never perfect. And it's, you know, we just got to be kind and give ourselves the grace we always give to other people, you know? Exactly. Oh, and I think that's very interesting. Like you said, but yeah, whose voice is telling you that? <laughs> <laughs> And, um, yeah, and maybe reevaluate that relationship and see mm-hmm. what yeah. that's all about. So let's talk about these lectures. You've got two coming yeah. up. The first one is Saturday, January 20th at 10.30 a.m. And the topic yeah. is going to be female bioidentical hormone balancing, focusing on perimenopause and menopause transitions. That's a yeah. great discussion. I mean, if anybody's available and either whether or not you're heading into perimenopause or menopause. I mean, it's something just, I think, for women to prepare for and understand and not fear. Absolutely, yeah. And in Motion Training Studio, it's a it's a great little gym training studio. Shannon's the, the owner there, and she's been kind enough to, she's got a great little space. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, come on in. And, and her clients are going to be there as well as anybody else who wants to come. Yeah, I, I, again, as we've alluded to, I do a lot of hormone balancing and going through menopause. Sometimes women are coming in because they're like, oh, you know, these hot flashes are driving me crazy and I can't sleep and all kinds of things. But the lecture is also going to talk about the benefits what of, of hormones. I mean, there's some studies, you know, a lot of studies coming out now that, oh, you know, estrogen does seem to help prevent dementia. We know it helps keep our bones healthy and strong. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of benefits of hormones and, and there's a lot of misinformation about hormone replacement, especially for women. This whole other topic based on this women's health initiative study that was going on in the 90s and then got halted very suddenly in 2002, I believe. And they just took women off like all of their hormones. And since that time, there's all information, study after study saying, ooh, we were really wrong about that, a lot of that information. (laughs) And Unfortunately, there's this whole couple generations of doctors who went through medical school who weren't taught 
anything about hormone replacement for women because they thought everybody thought it was quote unquote bad. So a lot of my patients, they're just like, oh, I tried to talk to my primary and they're like, I don't know anything about it. So that's where I'm hoping to fill in those gaps for people, just explaining what happens with menopause, but also, you know, the benefits and or negatives of hormone replacement, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Who do you want attending this, Michelle? What, like what ages or where are they at in life? Um, If somebody's um, through menopause or in the throes of it, of course, please come to that perimenopause. What age does that usually start? Yeah, that's a great, so that's a great question. And I, and I'm focusing to talk a little bit on perimenopause and menopause, but I have to say, and I'll explain what hormones do throughout your body. Your hormones can be out of balance at any time. Like I have patients, teenagers, you know, that have some hormone imbalance um, imbalances. And oftentimes with teenagers, or someone younger, we can get their hormones back in balance and then their body kind of goes, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing and they don't have to continue therapy long, longer. But the average age of the woman goes through menopause and that's when, if they're still having the menstrual cycles where their periods stop for a year, 12 months, they're done. Um, that's about age 50, 52. But the studies are showing like Female hormone changes with menopause can start like even up to 10 years before that. So it's really, you know, anybody in their 40s on up and even post-menopausal. And say someone's like, well, I've been menopausal for two years now. That, that's okay. There's, there, there's certainly some things that we can do, including hormone replacement at that time as well. What about surgical menopause? So that kind of depends if, if a woman, say they had surgical menopause, only their uterus was taken out. Don't have your uterus anymore and not having cycles. Most of the time, they left their ovaries. So for many women, until they get to about, you know, again, age 50, their ovaries will still be producing some hormones. We just don't have their cycles to kind of know where they're at in their cycle to do some testing. So it makes it a little bit trickier. But if, the, if a woman still has her ovaries and she's in no, no uterus, has her ovaries in her, in her 40s into the 50, 50s, we still should be checking her hormones because they are probably changing. Now, if a woman has, say they had a hysterectomy and they have uterus taken out as well as ovaries, their hormones are going to be low. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it because their ovaries are gone. They're definitely a candidate, especially if they before age 50, there's so many benefits that they're missing out if they just go into menopause at age 40. It's going to affect their bone health and their cardiovascular disease, et cetera. So sometimes if a woman has had a partial hysterectomy, it's called still has her ovaries, no uterus. Yeah, the testing might, we might have to do, get a little bit more, we might have to do a few more blood draws, et cetera, to try to figure out where they're at in their cycle, but it's doable. And then again, on Thursday, January 25th, at 6.30 p.m., you'll be talking about thyroid and adrenal disorders, discussing the symptoms, treatments, things that come along with that when things are low, like the fatigue, the weight gain, anxiety, yeah. depression. It's amazing how when your body's just out of whack, these these areas, the hormones, thyroid, adrenal, how much that impacts all of those yeah. things that we women just are like, it's does it ever stop that we can it just all can we all just get along inside the body so things yes. like this don't happen but that's at 6 30 p.m at in motion training also yeah so we talk you know just explaining more about how those glands work you know as i met alluded to there's these 
big ranges of normal for testing and with the adrenals, you know, the traditional way to look at it is either you're making cortisol, so you're good, or if you're not making any, then, oh, you're in a disease state. And there's these nuances with that. And, yeah, talking about different treatment plans, especially for the thyroid, there's a lot of different options and treatment plans that you can do for, you know, prescription supplements. I have a lot of patients that that they suspect. They're like, ah, I've always suspected I have some issues with my adrenal and my thyroid, but they're not in a disease state. Well, it doesn't mean it's not an ideal state. So kind of talking about that and and the symptoms to look for and how to treat it and test it. And both of these lectures are free. Yes. And all ages, men, women, everyone's invited to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what I love about the lectures is sure I've got the, the things that I you know the ideas of what I want to talk about but I love when people ask questions because usually if someone's asking a question you know there's a few other people who have the same question and I love to tailor the lectures to what people are curious about but yes absolutely everybody can come if if someone does want to come just it's it's great for us to know um, numbers wise we are asking people to just call my office and I can give you that number and um, tell my staff that they're interested in coming just so we have a count of how many or you know who's coming you can look at look on my website that I have an email there but the office number is it sounds like an infomo- infomercial <laughs> here uh, five four one. Three eight five zero seven seven five. And what is your website too? Because I'm sure people want more information if they do want to schedule an appointment, learn more about the services that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. And so that is dr. So it's basically drjacksonnd.com. So it's d r j a c k s o n n d dot com. Because as naturopaths, after our name, it's ND as a naturopathic doctor. So that's always confusing, but people forget those, that double N there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michelle, it's been such a pleasure talking with you and getting this information out. And um, I'm hoping we can do more segments, just especially going into the new year. I mean, everybody's, what is it, new year, new me type of thing, <laughs> or, or they're at the club and hurting themselves because they haven't been working out or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, just try to keep that momentum going and being kind and patient with ourselves so that we can achieve that optimal health that, that we're all wanting. Right. Absolutely. Oh, I would love, I love that. Cause I mean, there's just, there's fads and trends, which there's, you know, truths in some of those and, and, and not one, not everything. One size doesn't fit all. So yes, I would, I would love that. It would be very fun to, to come back on. Well, this is awesome. So again, the number to call 541 Three eight five zero seven seven five, and again, those lectures are Saturday, January twentieth at ten thirty a.m., and then Thursday, January twenty fifth at six thirty p.m., and they're both being held at In Motion Training Studio. Awesome. Well, Michelle, I really appreciate this time, and look forward to more discussions. Happy New Year. Thank you, Don. You too. The Don Newton Podcast is written, produced, and hosted by Don Newton.